Hello, podcasters. Teresa McBean here down at North Star Community, and I'm here today with... Scott McBean. As usual. As usual. Wouldn't it be shocking if someday I said that and somebody else's name popped up because we had a random guest show up? We need to have guests. We We need to do that. We should do that. Um, We've talked about it several times. And we always think we should at the beginning of a podcast. And every time we say it, somebody comes to me and is like, every time you say that we should do a special edition of the podcast, I really want to hear that one. And we've said it like a number of times, like, we should do a special podcast on this. We should do a special podcast on that. And we keep letting the people down. I'm sorry, people. Sorry, people. Right now, we're trying to catch up. Once we catch up, maybe we'll do something special in February. Yeah. Oh, you know what we could do? We could do a special Valentine's podcast. No. We could. Nope. And we could talk about marriage. No. Love. Nope. My favorite Lifetime movie. Well, you can bring in a special guest and talk about those things, I suppose, if you can figure out how to work the microphones, but I'm not going to help. Well, that's disappointing. (laughs) All right, so back on track here. We had a topic, uh, we're in the middle of a topic on forgiveness. Yeah, although if you're only listening to us on the podcast, we're not in the middle at all. We're right at the beginning. Are this we? Is, is this, this is the week, beginning? This is week two of the Lord, forgiveness series. It feels like we've been in forgiveness for months. Um, but we're um, at I'm the beginning. I'm enjoying be- it. I feel like it's going by quickly. I, I do too, but still, there's a lot of conversation about it. Mm-hmm. So we're at the beginning of the topic of forgiveness. And forgiveness is a really tough series to do. It often leads to some extracurricular conversations. Uh, yeah. And that's one of my favorite things about life is the one-off conversations we get. I love that so much. Forgiveness so, is definitely a topic that people bring in a lot of baggage. Yeah. You know, of stuff that is both related to forgiveness and uh, I guess things that are closely related to forgiveness and things that sometimes aren't so closely related but get wrapped up in the conversation. So it becomes very difficult, I think, to have a conversation just purely about forgiveness because there's all kinds of other things, um, you know, all kinds of traveling companions. I had a meeting yesterday with a therapist in our community, and she says that one of the things that she struggles with in working with her clients is her clients that come in, that so often come in uh, to do marriage work over uh, an issue related to some kind of betrayal. Uh-huh. And she has to spend so much time... Um, being attuned to all the things that these clients are sure of that their Christian faith has told them about forgiveness and having to unpack all of that. And she finds that challenging as a therapist. uh, She finds it, it challenging to unpack all of the things that people believe about forgiveness that um, may or may not be true. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And she herself is um, pretty well educated in terms of, um, you know, studying scripture and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So she has um, 
you know, she has quite a bit of credibility in my mind in terms of understanding how the Bible works and what it says and what it doesn't say. And she's very committed to that part of her life as a student, too. So she was talking to me about really that she's quite disturbed about the mythology around what it means to be a faithful person who forgives. Right. She thinks it's a Petri dish for shame, for guilt, and for uh, not um, holding accountable abusers. So I thought that was pretty... Pretty yeah. interesting. I think the the bigger issue in my mind is that the way forgiveness tends to be talked about in faith circles is, well, it's not necessarily a bigger issue. I don't mean to compare the issues, but <clears throat> to me, the way forgiveness is taught very rarely has anything to do with forgiveness, and it has to do with setting up a moral purity test. Mm-hmm. So like if you, if you use forgiveness language in the right way, if you... If something bad happens to you and you say that you forgive the person who did it right away, right. you've passed the moral purity test. Now, I think that the, this way of talking about it, what it does is it teaches people to use forgiveness language so that they can stay inside the circle of the good people, right? right? And nobody's right. doing this on purpose. Nobody's thinking about it this right. way. This is what's going on beneath the surface, right? And so there's this there's this pressure to conform to using this forgiveness language because good people forgive, right? And I think that's what tends to happen a lot. And then the offshoots of that are these things where because we have to be so quick to use forgiveness language so that we can stay part of the group, it means we start applying it to people who um, maybe need forgiveness, but accountability is the larger issue. Right. And it's never part of the conversation right? because we're rushing to use to, this forgiveness language yeah. so that we're not totally excluded right when right. you need support right i think that's the that's one of the really complicated dynamics well and then it just makes things more difficult down the road right because mm-hmm. you've used the language before you've exercised either the skill set or the principles around it and then you really get into some funky rationalization about why you keep having all these nightmares and negative emotions and whatnot. Right, because you either need to confront the fact that, A, you said you forgave when you didn't, or B, your ideas about what forgiveness are are wrong. Right. Right, you have to, like, one of those two things must be true. So, um, yeah, anyway... I guess this is a complicated conversation. And then I think, you know, the the issue, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but one of the ones that always comes up from, from <laughs> I was going to say something I, sh- I shouldn't say, from a person who I really admire in our community, mm-hmm. um, who, who always is curious about this, um, if, if other people don't share my certain way of seeing, why should I apply my certain way of seeing to them? Mm-hmm. Or like, what is, how do we assess these situations where other people are not playing according to the same rules? And I think that could go either way, either in the extending of forgiveness or in the person, you know, in you extending forgiveness to somebody who's not part of your hut, and then the difficulty of living on the other side of the relationship 
from somebody who's not in your hut who will never extend forgiveness to you. Right. So when you use hut language, one way I would I think about it, and is this how you mean it, that you think, which it, I mean, yeah, well, yeah, I see the complications of this in, all, in, in a million different ways, but you would think, ideally speaking, that if you were talking about somebody who shares your same faith, you're reading the same book, hopefully you're coming kind of close to having the same ideas about a topic as big as forgiveness, mm-hmm. as opposed to someone who doesn't share your book. Right. And I remember years ago when I was super young, I think I was 21 at the time, I went to a pastor for some uh, uh, counsel about an issue I was having um well, with my parents, and um, I was wondering what to say about say to the parent who had been offended. And one of the things that, I, and this pastor was very wise, and one of the things that he said to me is, um, "Teresa, don't apply your playbook to someone else's life." And um, I thought that was really smart, you know, because he, he kind of slowed my role. You know, I was young and I was into the shoulds and oughts and the fast forgiveness or swifter justice. I, I can't remember which stage I was in at the time developmentally, but. Um, right. And I think what I'm hearing there, if, that. I'm, if I'm understanding correctly, is that for people who are not living according to a shared way of seeing, um, reduced expectations can be in order. Yes, that's exactly what he was saying. He was saying, reduce your expectation, babe. He didn't say, babe, because that wouldn't have been appropriate. <laughs> you, you may not get what you want from these people, and you need to be prepared to live with that possibility. And that's your problem, not theirs. Um, and he didn't say mm-hmm. it in that harsh way, but it really, at the, I, I appreciated it because it made me think, wait a minute, hold on a second. You're putting your expectations of yourself on somebody else, and that somebody else does not have your certain way of seeing about this sort of thing. So, I do think it's their chill out. I think it's their problem in the sense that you know it's somebody else's responsibility. It's their responsibility to treat you decently, but I think it's your problem. And I think this is the point you're making. It would be your problem in the sense that just on a like practically functionally speaking. You have to live with this, right? right. You have to live right. with the fact that somebody else isn't isn't uh, doesn't share your certain way of seeing, and so um, you sort of have this choice. You know, you're never going to get what you want from here, from 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 this area of life, and so are you going to be miserable um, right. and and keep trying to demand it, right? You know, and keep being frustrated when it's not there. When you have the information, you need to know that it's not there and it's not coming. And so at a certain point, at a certain level, this is, again, I think this is going to sound too harsh as well, but you kind of have to choose to accept it Yes. and move on. Yeah. And you can, and there are all sorts of ways you can define, uh, define what it means to move on. Um, but in terms of thinking about forgiveness itself in a more concrete way, um, we're going to be looking at a particular passage of Scripture that I think reflects something that you have taught us when you have said often that very often when we're talking about forgiveness in the Scripture, 
It is um, the, the story around the forgiveness is around this idea of indebtedness. Yeah. And I really love the um, passage that you chose to highlight the, what you were trying to teach in this. So um, yeah, tell so, me more. Well, the summary uh, would be that um, there, you know, there's this passage from the Old Testament and there's, there's all these really boring passages in the Old Testament that are essentially establishing life as a community. Right. Um, and so one of these passages deals with um, how we deal with, as you say, indebtedness, um, you know, financially speaking or in terms of land or whatever. So in other words, um, if somebody has uh, incurred a debt, if somebody has asked for a loan or sold their property in order to get some money because they're on, they've fallen on hard times, that's a person who's incurred a debt. And then on the other hand, you have the lenders, and they're the people who lend that person the money when they need it or the person who buys the property um, from the person who's selling in order to get out of um, you know, financial hardship or financial strain. So there's this passage that basically teaches every so often, um, everybody who has a debt, uh, it it is forgiven. Everybody who, um, so I guess that would be on the on the lender. You know, so if you've lent someone money, and they maybe they've made payments on it, maybe they haven't, but every so often. In community life, according to this way of seeing, in the Old Testament, that debt that exists between these people, it's forgiven. So in a way, it's like there's a certain period of time, and there, and it's not like every every other year. It's There's an extended period of time between these years um, that basically everyone who's in debt is... Um, it's like it's like a very beneficent form of bankruptcy is declared and all your debts are forgiven. And not only that, but people to whom you have as a debt as a debtor have given land, they they return that land to your family. Right. Um, which is amazing. Right. And so I really so the key for me in all this is um while there's a time and place to look at at how these passages, at what role these passages play in the lives of those people in that time and place, I want to look at them as a metaphor, because I think what what this passage does for us is it uh, what these ideas about community life. Um, I think if we view this as a metaphor, it will right. ha- it will help shed some light on how we think about forgiveness. So the way we typically think about forgiveness is. All of my bad feelings about this person are now good feelings, or at least neutral, right? The bad, I have all these bad feelings, I have these resentments, now they're gone. That's what forgiveness is. And, you know, I don't, I think that part of forgiveness is about feelings, uh, but more importantly, I think, you know, to look at the biblical examples that forgiveness is about that releasing of a debt. And so what happens when a debt is forgiven? You know, it's a couple things. Uh, The person who has lent the money is no longer demanding repayment, and they don't take action against the person who has not been able to repay the debt. Right. So you can imagine a scenario in in olden times, as we say, where somebody... um, 
has a debt, they don't repay it, and the person who lent the money is well within their rights to take action against that person if it's been long enough and throw them in prison, right? So forgiveness in this sense of the, this money exchange is about we no longer demand repayment and we're not taking action against the person who can't repay. And at the same time, it's showing us that there's a whole spirit of generosity that should exist within the community, that nobody should fall on hard times and be stuck there forever. And everybody who's fallen on hard times has the opportunity to get back on their feet at some point. Like there's always a very concrete hope for that because at some point in the future, this day is going to come where my debt's going to be forgiven. And what that does in a sense is it's a great equalizer of power dynamics, right? Because uh, no lender gets to be the great land baron and take up all the land, which is really going to put everybody in this very agrarian society at risk, right? Because the lender at that point just gets richer and richer, and the poor get have less and less resources in which to um, plant crops, make money, feed their family, whatever. So this is a this is sort of like being able for the community to hit the reset button. Yeah, I think that part of why this way of looking at forgiveness is really important to me is that I'm very much concerned about the people who have been uh, deeply harmed. If the idea that we're working with is that negative feelings need to turn into positive feelings, then um, I just don't know what hope there is for forgiveness for people who have had really impossibly difficult, very traumatic lives, right? right. And I, I mean, right. like, a, you know, there's any number of people that, 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 uh, spring to mind from our community, um, and 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 beyond. And so the reason that I initially started thinking about this, um, trying to treat this financial kind of forgiveness as a metaphor for how we think about forgiveness in our culture, is if negative feelings have to turn into positive feelings or neutral feelings for somebody to experience forgiveness. Um or to be able to give forgiveness, then these people who've had these awful lives are never going to be able to be forgiving people. Um, and that just doesn't work for me. I mean, I don't think that, like, forgiveness should not be a hopeless exercise. And so for people who've had really, really deep harms, um, you know, that seems like a very hopeless way. That seems like a very hopeless way to live. Like, I'm not going to be able to forgive because I'll never get over these negative feelings. And we don't believe that there is a God that is up there setting impossible ex expectations just so that we continue to f to feel like we fail to live up to his expectations. So, you know, with that certain way of seeing in mind, if that's what forgiveness means, something's off. Right. And so, I mean, I think part of what's going on here is that even people who have never been able to get rid of all those negative feelings, I think, you know, you want to believe that someday they won't be there because they affect you. Right. And so right. I very much understand that part of it. Like there's always this hope that 
that this kind of forgiveness will one day come when I do feel positively towards this person or my negative feelings are at least neutral feelings towards this person. I, I totally get that. I totally get that hope because we don't want to live with these kinds of resentments forever. Right. But I think that, that part of, um, you know, it depends from person to person what happens with your feelings. But if you're somebody who thinks, I'm never, ever going to get rid of these, then I would say that we could take a page from this book about looking at the financial aspect of forgiveness and say, our job is not to demand repayment, and our job is not to take action against the person who's wronged us. Um, and somebody asked the question, oh, I'm trying to remember how the question was worded, but like where do boundaries come into play? Mm-hmm. Like do, it does setting up a boundary with somebody who's who's really harmed me, is that an example of taking revenge or taking action against another person. And I think, you know, what I've, where I'm starting to be with that kind of question is, um, you know, setting up a boundary can be something that prevents a person from causing further harm. Right. Right. So that means that like you're preventing further debt. And that means that you're both not taking revenge. Um, you're not taking action against that person. You're not trying to tear them down. Um, and you're almost setting them up for success by preventing them from doing more harm. Yes. Which is to say you're not deepening the debt. And, you know, I think it's, I can't remember if I emphasized it enough in, uh, and last week's or not, but but a huge part of this is the not taking revenge. Right. You know, that's the piece that I'm really concerned with. Are you, because that's that's the example that we see in this financial form of forgiveness is it's about not taking action against somebody. It's not so much how you feel towards somebody. Um, I like this idea too of, well, I two things that I want to say about this. One, I think that this sort of approach towards forgiveness, using indebtedness and a forgiving debt as a metaphor, really helps me um, feel like we're balancing the scales a little bit. I feel like the thumb of our current culture has been weighing down the scale in terms of always using feelings language to talk about forgiveness. Right. And I'm not a fan of that. Because I think that's problematical for all the reasons you said. But I also want to say something about boundaries as as a legitimate example of this. So I have a friend who was upskirted at work. Do you know what upskirting is? I do. So for those of you who don't know, uh, somebody use their phone to try to look under my friend's dress. Now, because of the policy at the business where this happened, uh, no action was taken uh, because they said there was no evidence of wrongdoing. Uh, But my friend has now gone and drawn a boundary of saying that approach is not acceptable for me because I do not believe that that takes into consideration the safety of our community 
And so what she has done is she has initiated a conversation with saying, well, if our policy says this isn't a problem and that we cannot hold this person accountable, then I want to be part of the solution to changing the policy. Mm -hmm. She's not seeking vengeance. She's not trying to ruin anybody's reputation. But to me, this is the perfect example of saying, and I don't want to get into to the details of the story, but this was in a professional setting where this person was a professional. And um, it is good for the person that upskirted my friend, to have some really uh, serious conversations and accountability around this behavior. Uh, Because what if it escalates? What if it continues? So pushing the pause button here and having this conversation about this not being appropriate and there being some structures in place for discussions and um, seeing what can be done about this may prevent future harm, not only for somebody he might repeat that with, but also for him because maybe he could get the help he needs. So I think especially when we're talking about um, situations like this, it's really important to have a place where you can go and you can talk about what does it mean to not seek vengeance or revenge? What does it mean to draw a good boundary around a relationship or a behavior that's happening in a community that might put a community at risk? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I struggle to know how we apply forgiveness to organizational type settings. I think that one of the problems, I mean, I hate it when people hide behind policies as if policies are people Um, you know, I mean, even if you have a policy, you can still sit down with people and have a conversation, you know, which this organization refused to do. Yeah. I mean, and, and even then you're, you're even in just having a conversation, you're introducing some accountability. I don't know anything about that situation, so it's hard to, I don't want to comment on it one way or the other, but yeah, organizations a little bit little bit different than interpersonal stuff. But what I loved about that example, put the organization aside, is how thoughtfully my friends wanted to say, I don't want to forget about this, nor do I want to seek vengeance. How can I productively deal with um, what happened to me? Yeah. And no matter what happens organizationally, I believe that what she did is she offered mercy and forgiveness. Yeah. Um, And she did it while having strong negative emotions. But what she didn't do is overreact. She's taken her time and she's been very thoughtful. And I think that that's in keeping with the principles of this. Yeah. I love the... um, the other uh, verse you used in this message too, um, which I believe you probably got out of the end of Romans 12. I think that's where this one came from. Um, when you quoted, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
And yeah, that was a reference to the verses used the prior week, you know, and and I love that. I love that verse as a way of framing the again the spirit of forgiveness, right? Rather than just, you know, so often forgiveness conversations are about like the mechanical side of forgiveness. Right. How does it happen? Who offers it? When? After what period of time? Right. Um, and I like this as a as a as a big picture uh, frame over that. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So the goal is that we're trying to we're trying to remember in our practice of forgiveness that living peaceably with all is at the heart of what we're doing all the time. Um, that you know, because forgiveness can also very quickly become a weapon. You know, I mean, in those instances where you use forgiveness language too quickly, you right. know, it can be a way of taking for yourself the moral high ground. I've forgiven you. You know, I mean, right. there's all kinds of ways in which it can, um, in which it can it can go amiss. But I think it's also, I think, a great verse per that question of what happens with people who don't share our certain way of seeing, and it's a way of saying. Even for people who aren't going to play by our same rules and they're not going to either ask for forgiveness or extend forgiveness or uh, treat you with any kind of decency or respect or whatever, your goal is still to try to figure out what it means and what it looks like to live peaceably under those circumstances. And with that kind of frame of reference, now we're having a conversation uh, about how we relate to our offender, not how we feel towards the offender. Right. And that to me takes the thumb off of the scales of justice a bit and and resets us I think appropriately so. Yeah. And I think that's a good way of putting it because I do think um that's also something that's going on in our culture a lot is this idea of there's so much talk about doing justice, right? But in a way that is very resentful. Right. And um I'm not opposed to doing justice, right? And I'm not opposed to justice being done. But I think this this call to remember the spirit of who we're to be in the world is such an important thing. And I think the end of those verses, again, to call back to last week, where God is the one who ultimately is going to set things right, not right. us. Right. Um, that's such a difficult thing to live with. Um, I'm at a place in my life where I'm finding a lot of comfort from from that now. Um, whereas I used to perhaps resent this idea that all of all justice, all vengeance had to be left to God. I'm in a different place with that today, but I can see why that would be a challenge for people. Um, but I think I like knowing that there's work that's ours to do and work that's God's to do, and it's our work to try to be peaceable. And it's God's work to figure out how order is going to be established. Yeah, and it also changes our questions, and I think it does so in a way that sort of, when I when I think of these two questions, my shoulders kind of relax, mm-hmm. right? And you you mentioned in your message you had two of them, like, what does it look like to refuse repayment, mm-hmm. and what does it look like? Uh, to um, demand repayment. Demand repayment. Yeah. So um, I love 
I love this idea of saying, wait a minute, this isn't mine to do. I've got other things I can be busy about that seem much more manageable to me than feeling like I have control over um, doing justice. Um, and usually when I, pres- you know, there's been a few circumstances in which I've presented this view of forgiveness. And usually what happens is people complain that it's too easy. Like if, you're, if your job is just to refuse uh, somebody repaying a debt, right. like you're refusing the repayment or to demand that somebody pay the debt, you know, if, if, and those two things we're lumping under this idea of we're not taking action against the people who've harmed us, right. just like not taking action, right. which let's do our usual caveat, doesn't mean uh, that we wouldn't contact the authorities if there was a safety right. issue or something like that. Right. It, it's more meaning just in a very basic interpersonal sense. So if it if forgiveness is more about not taking uh, revenge against the people who've harmed us, then a lot of people have said in these me- in these services and in other places, well, I've never taken revenge, so... I mean, it doesn't make sense that that would be forgiveness because that's too easy. And what I would say on the one hand is if you've never taken revenge against somebody, then that's great. And you're practicing forgiveness and you should actually give yourself credit for that. Right. Because I don't think we're taught to do that often enough. And that's really how I ended the message was if you haven't taken revenge, then good for you. That's amazing. Right. On the other hand, it's important to remember that there's lots of ways in which we demand repayment that we've never even thought about. You know, I mean, being passive aggressive. Um, towards withholding affection. Withholding affection. Um, there was another one I thought of. Uh, bringing up past fights that are resolved. Right. You know, I'm thinking about in a, maybe in a marriage context or somebody you've had a long friendship with. You know, always, always bringing up that one time that person did that one thing as a way of just kind of sticking it to them. Right. These are ways in which we're demanding repayment, you know, but we're not used to thinking about it like this because we're not used to thinking about forgiveness in terms of our actions. Right. Right. So you may say that your feelings are totally caught up and it's all good. But if you're doing these kinds of things, you know, if you're being passive aggressive or aggressive aggressive or constantly rubbing somebody's nose and what they've done to you or withholding the affection because of what somebody's done to you or whatever else. I mean, these could possibly be examples that we are asking that person to pay their debt. So we have to be very careful. I personally don't think that this version of forgiveness is particularly easy because I happen to think that a lot of us demand repayment all the time. Uh, and we just are not yet used to thinking about the ways in which we do that. I think that's a really good point. Um, I think both points are important and valid. Um, so I think that we continue to have a lot to think about when it comes to forgiveness. Yeah. So I think we would want to conclude by saying that some harms are so great Um that our emotions are probably never going to catch up and we're never going to get to the place where we just are like, yay, everything is restored back perfectly. But what I think you were really trying to do in this message is to reframe forgiveness in such a way 
that it's a possibility, even as uh, we are considering and being really honest about how hurtful the offense was and how great the harm was. Yep. So uh, I think that's a pretty good place to leave it and to think about it. We'll be coming back next week and unpacking more on the subject. But um, I think this allows us to have room for processing our negative emotions, but also to have a little bit of hope about the fact that maybe we're doing a little better with forgiveness than we thought. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've thought that forgiveness was impossible, hopefully it seems possible. Right. All right. You have anything you want to recommend this week? I think I do. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I've done this before or not, but um, have I recommended our 12-step workbooks? Probably. Uh, We need to start writing them down. I know I say that every week. Um, Well, I'm going to re-recommend it if I haven't recommended it before because we've got all four of them out at Amazon.com and on our uh, sister organization at www.nacr.org and um, I'm excited because I thought about it this morning I got a really nice little note from somebody who's using them and it just encouraged me a little bit so these are some 12-step workbooks that we've been working on and they combine both the 12-step perspective um, integrated with a a person who has a Christian certain way of seeing about their faith. I'm excited about them, and I think that it could be a refreshing approach to the 12 steps. Um, I can't remember if I've recommended this before or not. but Well, this could just be repeat recommendation day. Somebody had said um, last week that they were looking forward to watching a movie that I'd recommended, so maybe I'll um, keep recommending movies, but Arrival would be one that I would recommend. Okay. Um, it it's a science fiction. It's like a movie Boo, where his. where aliens uh, sort of come to Earth, but in a nonviolent way. They're not attacking everybody, and it's really about learning how to communicate with the aliens. But then there's also some other stuff going on. It's kind of a movie about grief. If I have recommended that one before, you have not. I would have remembered that. Uh. I don't think then you I'll re- Okay. Well, we'll just leave it there for that, and I'll save my other movie for next time. As usual, we appreciate you listening, and as usual, there will be music somewhere on this podcast, probably playing now, probably has been playing, and it's courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. You can find them on the web at sessions.blue. It's royalty-free, which means we don't have to pay for it. So we appreciate them, and we appreciate you, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs>